Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, church family. I think Steve's just having fun up here, calling out names, getting people to stand. Can I have the next 30 minutes and just invite you just to relax? Not going to give you anything for your calendar. Not going to ask anything of you necessarily. We're just going to sit and reflect on God's word and what it has to say about how much he loves us today. Can we do that? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. This is week six of our stuffed campaign. I was going to give you a run through of where we've been, but we don't have time. So in week six, we're going to start to discuss the relationship between stuff and people. And the comment that we made in the discussion guide is, we know people are more important than things, but it's a little more difficult in practice, isn't it? I'm calling this message this morning, can I have five bucks? Do you have a friend like that? Oh, you forgot your wallet again? Oh, it's okay. Oh, you want to borrow my truck again this weekend? Sure. We, we learn from a pretty young age, don't we? I remember growing up, having friends, playing with toys, and there were always these specific friends, and I knew the question they were going to ask. Wow, this toy is really cool. Can I keep it? Can I take this home? Can I have this? <laughs> Do you remember that? And it was kind of awkward. We, we want to ask the question, like, do, are you hanging out with me because you enjoy spending time with me, or are you just like my stuff? I remember in college, one of my friends in the dormitory, he got the video game Rock Band. Do you know the video game Rock Band? Like actual instruments and guitars and drums and microphones. So he got it for his Xbox. First time anybody in the dorm had seen anything like that. All these guys are packed into his little room on the bottom bunk, on the top bunk, sitting on the desk. 20 people crammed in this room, more guys in the hallway, just loving this. But he got kind of tired of it after a while, not having his own space, not having a clear bedtime, no time to study because all these guys are coming up at mealtime, class time. Hey, what are you doing after class? Can I call first dibs on rock band? And it came to the point where it was like, you know what? We're not going to play rock band anymore. You guys aren't here to hang out with. You just want to play my video game. Maybe we get a little cynical and jaded and we start to think, is there any real and true, pure, unconditional love in this world or are people just expecting something in return? One of the leading conflicts in the average marriage in North America is discussions on finances, spending, saving, investing. How much should we put into the vacation? How much can we afford? What should the budget look like? What should we keep in the bank? You had discussions about finances in your relationships? I remember, I know I'm telling a lot of stories, but I'm about to tell a story that Jesus told. He's told a lot of stories to get the point across. So I want to tell you a few stories that you can maybe relate to so I can get you on board with this theme. I remember being newly married, even more naive and ignorant than I am now, even more cheap than I am now. I would say frugal or a good steward, but that's really not the truth. I, I was very cheap initially. I remember telling Elsie how we were going to manage finances. Not talking to her about it, 
telling her how we were going to do it. And every purchase you make, Elsie, you take the receipt. She's in Journey Kids, so I can tell all these stories. <laughs> you take the receipt, and when you step inside our little $600 a month two-bedroom apartment that probably wasn't fit to live in, you just stick it to the, the uh, thumbtack board right here. And the first few times it didn't happen, we had a big, a big discussion about that. <laughs> we didn't stick with that system for even a week. I remember the first vacation we went on with family. We're down in the States, I think it was Hobby Lobby, ladies, Hobby Lobby. And there was this teal colored teapot, ceramic teapot. It was $11 American, and I remember that price because I'm still embarrassed to this day. Elsie said, can I get this? And I proceeded in this long discussion of explaining this is the first stop, the first item, it's $11, $11 American, so let's do the math. And if we proceed to make purchases like this on this trip, in this manner, the first thing we see, first stop, we're not going to have the money and our financial future of our entire relationship is at stake on this $11 American teapot. <laughs> My sister saw the conversation. Elsie agreed because she's an incredibly gracious, loving wife. Make sure she hears that part today, okay? <laughs> We go to the parking lot, my sister here, she says, Elsie should really have that teapot, Josh is being a jerk, I was being a jerk. She bought the teapot, brought it out, and presented it to Elsie in front of the whole family in the parking lot. <laughs> but I still wasn't ready to let it go. So we had a further discussion in the parking lot. I don't know how that discussion went, but let me tell you, my wife is of far more value than an $11 teal teapot. That wasn't clear to me in the moment, I don't know why. <laughs> Have you had discussions like that and you look back and you think, really? <laughs> Arguments over finances. You don't care about me, you just care about the stuff. Okay, I didn't just come to tell you stories. We're gonna dig into Luke chapter 15 this morning and it's a story that you know all too well. The prodigal son. I don't really think the story of the prodigal son is really about the prodigal son. I think the story is really about the prodigal son's father. I think the father is the main character in this story, and the father's conversation, characteristics, how he proceeds in this story is really the point that Jesus wants to make about the heavenly father. This is a parable. It's a fictitious earthly story that Jesus tells to present and to illustrate a spiritual truth, a heavenly truth, a truth about the kingdom of God. And I think it's all about the father. The father has two sons. The father has three conversations in the story. The prodigal son is one of them. The older brother is one of them. But it's the father who's involved through the whole story. I think he's the main character. So this is what we're going to dig into. Here's some context. Religious leaders are complaining that Jesus is just eating with anybody. Sinners, tax collectors, welcoming them into his presence. Really, Jesus, you're going to eat with those people? What do they have to offer you, Jesus? What is Jesus getting out of this relationship? Does he really think that these sinners are worthy of his company? I bet they didn't pay the bill at the restaurant. Luke chapter 15. Let's start in verse 11. And he said, Jesus, to these religious leaders who were questioning his company. You want to know why I eat with sinners? Well, let me tell you a story. There was a man, 
See who the main character is? Who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. The inheritance. The rich young ruler. You remember Steve talked about that. How do I inherit eternal life? The man who shouted out over the crowd while Jesus is teaching, Master, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus says, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? The inheritance. Where there's a will, there's an elderly relative. The inheritance. Has your child ever asked you for money? My kids aren't at that age yet. I know this is a parable, I know it's a fictitious story, but I have to assume there was more conversation here, right? Son, you want the inheritance? You know you're not come of age yet, right? So if I give you the inheritance, I really need to understand what you're going to do with it. Are you going to invest it? Are you going to start a business? What are you going to spend it on? What are your hopes and dreams? Can I get a written plan and an application maybe? You do know that I worked hard for this money, right? And money doesn't just grow on trees. You can't just be frivolous with it, right? You've got to assume there was more conversation there. Jesus doesn't say any of that. The father simply agrees. He gives it to the son freely. Did he expect anything in return? Look at the rest of verse 12. And he, the father, divided his property, his own property, between them. The older brother, the younger brother, the two sons. Verse 13. Not many days later. Can't you feel an I told you so coming right here? The younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. That didn't take long. Isn't that where our mind goes? I knew it. If I give them this money, are they going to use it wisely? That's stewardship. Can I encourage you? We've been talking about this resource in the lobby at the table under the TV, you, your church, your money. It's all about stewardship using your resources wisely, and it's something to aid in this whole stuff series discussion, so grab your copy today. But this whole idea of stewardship, using what God has given us wisely, because it's all a gift, isn't it? We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. And we're tricking or deceiving ourselves if we think that we did. Are they going to use it wisely? I think we're the, the prodigal, aren't we? We're the ones who have received an incredible inheritance, a gift that we didn't earn, and now it's up to us to invest that gift wisely. Stewardship. That's not what this young man did. A gift really can't be a gift if there's strings attached. If there's, if there's all sorts of clauses in the agreement that you have to use the gift in this way, for this purpose, in this direction, It's not really a gift, is it? It's more of a business transaction. What the father did for the son was a free gift. The son did not use it wisely. Look at verse 14. When the younger son had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. When it rains, it pours, right? And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him 
anything. Pretty stark contrast to the lavish generosity of the father, isn't it? This kid searches for what he needs, what he desires in the world, and nobody would give him anything. That's rock bottom, isn't it? I attended a Canadian Youth Workers Conference in Moncton years ago, and and there was a person presenting in one of the sessions. He was from BC. He has a ministry to the homeless. And he was talking about this whole concept of rock bottom. He said, what really matters is not material wealth. What really matters is relational wealth. I had never really heard that term before. And he said, "Let's, let's do this little exercise. Just imagine, God forbid, you lose your home, you go bankrupt, you lose the car, you lose all your material possessions in, the, in this world. Here's the question. Would you be on the street tonight? I think most of us would probably say no. I, I would call so-and-so. I would talk to family. I would talk to kids. I would talk to my church family. I would talk to my coworker. I'd reach out to my boss. I have all of these people, this relational wealth that I know would take care of me if the material wealth ran out. Rock bottom. If Fiona tears the roof off of your house, what do you really need in that time? Do you need an insurance company to throw a bunch of money at you? That's kind of nice. Sure, that might help. Do you need an emergency fund in the bank? Sure, that might help. But what you really need is people around you to support you, to pray for you, maybe people with some skill that can nail those shingles back on the roof for you. I hear insurance companies want to do a payout because it's easier to give people money than it is to find the people to do the work. Because the people are more important and valuable than the stuff could ever be. Rock bottom. I wonder if this prodigal son felt as though he had not only spent all of his resources, but he had burned the bridges. I wonder if he felt as though he spent all his relationships as well. When times are tough, what do we really need? We need people. People are more valuable than stuff. Who cares about the money you don't have or do have if you have nobody to share it with? The prodigal son is alone. He's bankrupt. He's hungry. This is the most curious point in the story for me. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, listen to this plan, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy. Everybody say worthy. Worthy. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Comes to his senses, he makes a plan. I'll ask for a job. Surely he doesn't want me as his son, but maybe if he hires me, I can have all the benefits of living under his roof. Business transaction, not a relationship. What's the difference between being a son and being an employee? What's the difference between family and business? Maybe you work in business with your family, and that's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? What factor does compensation play? What factor does love play? Working together, living together, they're two different things. Sitting at the boardroom table and sitting at the table at Christmas dinner are two different things. Does it come down to this? 
I want something from you versus I just want you. What's more important? Is it a paycheck or a relationship? People are more important than stuff. Let's look at verse 20. We'll keep on going. He, the younger brother, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father doesn't even let him get to the rest of his plan, does he? Cuts him off right there, halfway through. I'm no longer worthy. Verse 22, but the father jumps in. Say no more. He says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. He is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. That's the story of the prodigal son, isn't it? That's what we think about. The father running down the laneway to embrace his long lost son. The father spares no expense celebrating the return of his son. There doesn't seem to be any discussion as to where the inheritance went. There's no thought to the money. All of the loss is swallowed up in the gain of receiving his son back home safe and sound, alive. It's a lavish celebration. The best robe. Whose closet do you think it came from? The shoes. Whose closet do you think those came from? The ring. Whose jewelry box do you think it came from? The fattened calf. How long does it take to fatten a calf? I really don't know, but I assume it's an expensive, long process, isn't it? Kill it. It's time to celebrate. No looking back. Okay. Time out. Parents, we've got to talk about this a little bit because I don't understand. What do I do in light of this? Isn't he setting a really difficult precedent for the rest of this kid's life? Son, you ask you receive. You run away, you waste it, and you get rewarded. Isn't that what's happening here? Isn't that a little bit reckless of the father? The son wasted all the inheritance and reckless living. Didn't the father kind of waste the inheritance by entrusting it to his son who is too young and letting him run off and waste it? What do we do here, parents? Wouldn't you want to receive the child home and say like... What happened to the inheritance? Or at least have the conversation, did, did we learn our lesson? Do we know now? Are we going to do this again? I'm now going to cut your allowance down to 25% until you learn how to really, you've broken some trust here, it needs to take some time, here's the disciplinary actions. Wouldn't we want to have those conversations, parents? We don't, surely we don't want our kid to grow up some punk who thinks that the world is their oyster and they're entitled to everything, right? What's this father doing for his son? One of the things that frustrates me about disciplining my children and having conversations with them is trying to help them understand the value of stuff. Because stuff costs money. You can't throw rocks at the car. A new windshield is $400. I know. 
works. I replaced it twice now. <laughs> Throwing the Hot Wheels at the TV. You know, we can't just run out and buy another one, right? Money doesn't grow on trees. Waste not, want not. Take care of your stuff. So here's another story. We're visiting family. And our kids proceed to break the front step just while we're hanging out chatting in the front yard. It's like, really? It was bad enough you did it once, but now you're laughing and jumping on it as it's breaking under your feet? I mean, come on. So we have a long ride home. Dad's driving like half the speed limit. We're having a talk. We need to value other people's things, kids. So here's what we're going to do. We get home, you're both going to go to your room. You're going to get out your wallets. And we're going to purchase our family member a new step. So we let them go up to the room. We give them ample time to think about what they've done and the consequences that are about to come in because it's time to parent, right? This is a parenting opportunity. So Elsie and I get on the same page. What are we going to do? How are we going to have this conversation? Don't laugh. Let's go into Reese's room first. Reese, pull out your wallet, buddy. You got to get out that $20 bill because we're going to go down to the hardware store. We're going to buy a new step. Try not to laugh as we're saying this. And Reese understands that that $20 bill is one of the more expensive bills from his Christmas money and his birthday money in his little cartoon race car wallet. So he feels a sense of loss when he takes it out <laughs> and hands it. We're kind of evil, aren't we? And then we go into Jade's room. My daughter Jade, she's five years old. She's in primary. She loves princesses and everything pink. And her wallet is pink princess wallet. And Jade, you got to get the $20 bill out of your wallet. She's got no idea what a $20 bill is. So we say, Jade, you got to get the, the green paper money out of your wallet and give it to mommy and dad because we got to pay for this step that you guys broke because we got to make right what we wrong. There are consequences to our actions. We have to take care of other people's stuff. So little Jade, with her little fingers and her blonde hair, pulls out the green money, and she looks at it with a little smirk on her face, a little twinkle in her eye. She hands it to us, and as she's handing it to us, she says, I didn't like that color anyway. <laughs> and so I said, what color do you like? We'll take that one. No. We went down to the hardware store, the kids put their money on the counter, we delivered the deck boards because we want them to take care of other people's stuff. We want kids to learn that stuff is valuable, right? Turn off the lights when you're done in the room. Stuff costs money. Finish your yogurt. We don't waste food. Get up off the ground, don't ruin your new jeans. Can I take my new toy out to play? No, you can't take your new toy out to play. Leave it on the shelf where it can't get touched, it can't get damaged, it can't get dirty, and never play with it again, and forget that it was up there like Toy Story until we sell it in yard sale someday, but at least it won't get broken, because stuff is valuable. It's all funny until you've got to have these conversations, right? It's always more humorous after the fact. Remember when you were practicing for your driver's license? Yeah. Your parents were saying, be careful. If you so much as get a scratch on that vehicle. <laughs> My parents never did that. So if they watch this back, you're great parents. But there may be a moment where you think, man, if I wreck the car, am I dead meat? Do My parents love the car more than they love me. If I break this toy, should I just bury it in the backyard and never tell mom and dad about it because telling them that I actually broke the toy might be worse for me? Do my parents love me 
more than their stuff. I don't know the appropriate balance between teaching kids to value stuff and showing kids that they are valued above the stuff. It seems tricky to do both simultaneously. I don't even know if balance is the right term. Because look at the prodigal father. There's, there's no question. There's no balance. It seems recklessly unbalanced, doesn't it? Who cares about this stuff? Let's expend more stuff because my son is home. You know what the father's saying to his child? I love you more than anything. I love you. And I'm just so glad that you're home. Isn't that what the prodigal son really wants to know? Dad, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I wasted it. Your inheritance is gone. I let you down. I lost all your stuff. I made poor choices. Do you still want me? Do you still love me? Do, do I still have a place in your home? It's the question Jesus asked Peter following the resurrection. Peter goes fishing and the next morning Jesus already has fish on the beach. Peter, do you love me more than these? Fishing was Peter's life. Fishing was Peter's therapy. Fishing was Peter's income, his family business, his generational business passed down from father to son, from father to son. Do you love me more than that inheritance, Peter? Jesus' story of the prodigal's father is clear. The father says, it's not about the stuff. It's about my son. But there's another son in the story that we often overlook, isn't there? Look at verse 25. And his older son was in the field, probably working hard for his father in his father's field, doing what the older son should have been doing. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Verse 27, he said to him, Your brother has come home. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The servant understood. The older brother didn't. Verse 28, he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. I never thought about this before, but don't you love that? The father came out of the house to meet with the older brother who was angry in his self-righteousness. The father also came out of the house to embrace his son who was ashamed and embarrassed, dragging his feet, returning home. The father left his home to meet his sons where they were at. 
Verse 29, he answered his father, look, in case you haven't seen what I've been doing here all these years, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? We get a little glimpse not only into how the younger brother wasted the inheritance, but also into the mindset of the older brother. That son of yours, the one who wasted everything, the one who's in the house with dad's robe, with dad's shoes, with dad's ring, eating the fattened calf that we've been saving for Christmas... And I'm out here working, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, doing what I've always done, obeying my father, and working hard. It's very transactional, isn't it? It's very much earning dad's respect. Trying to find value in his father's eyes by the work that he did. I served, I obeyed, don't I deserve a party? Not even asking for the fattened calf, I just want a young goat. We had a few neighbors when we lived in New Brunswick. We lived in this little subdivision, so we were surrounded by neighbors, and they were all great. There was one neighbor that I developed a pretty good relationship with. We had spiritual conversations, got him out to some church events, really cool ministry opportunity there. But everything that we did to serve or to help or to try and be generous, it was always responded with, I will make sure to pay you back sometime. We'll, we'll get a gift card and, and give it, we'll have you out to supper. Oh, I'll, I'll take care of your yard sometime. It, it was always this very, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, like didn't want to be in debt to anyone. It, it's difficult to show generosity when it's not received and it's this, this payback relationship. Expecting nothing in return. Look at the father's response in verse 11. The father said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for this, your brother, not just my son, not just this son of mine, he's your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Isn't this the crux of it all? Son, it's better to be with you than to be wealthy. Your brother is with us again, and that's far more important than any of the stuff that was wasted. What's mine is yours. Nothing is withheld from you. You want a goat? Take a goat. Celebrate with your friends. It's not about a goat. It's not about this stuff. What's mine is yours. But what even better is that you are mine and I am yours. I hope you understand that this parable that Jesus is telling isn't about some real-life father with his two sons and their historical figures that actually lived and they had an argument over an inheritance and a goat and a party. This is a story that Jesus is telling to illustrate the heart of God the Father for his children. This is a picture Jesus tells of the Heavenly Father coming out of his home to meet his children where we're at. 
whether we wasted our inheritance and blew our blessings. Maybe we thought that we could earn our inheritance through obedience and good works and self-righteousness. God the Father meets his children where we're at. And he says, you are mine and I am yours. Everything I have is yours. Through faith in Jesus, it's all yours and now you are mine. All is forgiven. In fact, let's celebrate because my most treasured possession has come home. Do you realize you are God's most treasured possession? You know how I know that? Because God placed a huge, immeasurable, expensive value on your life. Do you know how I know that? Because God was willing to pay an incredible price to redeem you and to purchase you back from death to life, from sin to righteousness, from darkness to light. And the price that he paid for your life was his own life. That's how much the father is willing to sacrifice for his kids. We're talking about a son who blew a portion of the inheritance, which is a portion of the father's wealth. What God sacrificed for you is everything. That's how valuable you are to God the father. I want to invite the band to come up. I'm going to read two verses and just give some closing thoughts. Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the mud, in the pig pen, at rock bottom, that's when Jesus died for us and that's how much God loves us. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Love that verse. We call it the great exchange. God takes our sin, he gives us his righteousness. He clothes us in righteousness. The Spirit seals us like a ring. When we arrive in heaven, when when we're fully in glory someday, in eternity, we enjoy the feast awaiting us, the celebration, our homecoming. Because of our faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, the Father's not going to scold us for wasting his inheritance. We are forgiven. The Father just wants to be with us and welcome us home. So which son are you? That's my question. Do you struggle with the overwhelming sense of wasting what you've been given? Maybe you wear bankruptcy like a scarlet letter. When you look at the bank account, you struggle not to let it reflect your own personal value. Do you relate more to the older brother? I worked hard for my living. I wasn't lazy. I didn't waste. I obeyed. Self-righteousness whispers in your ear, you earned it. You deserve it. It's too bad, so sad for everyone else who is too lazy to be the early bird catching the worm. You earned it. Maybe that's who you relate to today. Maybe that's what the Spirit is impressing on your heart. But here's the question. How can we reflect the heart of the Father when it comes to stuff 
and people, stuff and relationships. How do we show people their worth is far more than rubies or gold? How do I show my wife that her worth is far more than an $11 teapot? How do we show people that we love them, not because of what we can get from them, but because he first loved us? How do we reflect the heart of the Father in that regard? Whether we're looking over our nose in self-righteous arrogance, or we're embarrassingly looking up from the pig pen, we all need the love of the Father. Relationship with God comes before any of the stuff this world has to offer. We're going to take a moment to respond. If you would stand with me, I would encourage you to do so. And our service is coming to a close. We're going to reflect on a song. Uh, we have folks who are ready and willing to pray with you today if you want to join them at the front during this song or after the service. But we want to give you time to respond and think through what we talked about today. Is self-righteousness your struggle? Is shame and guilt your struggle? How are you reflecting the heart of the Father to show people that you love them more than anything that they could offer in return? I just want you to reflect on, as we sing this song, just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. And I didn't really chat with Jay about this song that they chose as a band, but just think about the first two lines of this song. 